Hey, well, good morning again. Uh, this is a fun day for me today because not only do I have Sam here like each and every week, but we got Caleb's here and Levi's here and Chase is here. We actually have people here and I absolutely love it. I just want to let you know someday, someday uh, it is our hope that we would have a, a studio that God would open up a door to that and we would love, love, love to have you here with us, live and in person, where we're worshiping together, we're opening up our word together, and then we're able to share that um, through this way. So this is a step in that direction. Guys, thanks so much for being here. I'm just I'm just pumped up about that. All right, well, welcome to week one of our series on politics. Uh, politics, oh boy. We're calling this series Politics 2020. I, um, I live just down the road from the community center and uh, where we meet for services. And my neighborhood, it is filled with lots of good people. Lots of good people who really want to engage politically in a responsible way. Well, in the last national election, 2016, there were yard signs everywhere. I want you guys, you remember that election? Do you guys have lots of yard signs around you too? All right. Maybe it was different in your neighborhood, but in, in my neighborhood, um, we had hundreds and hundreds of yard signs everywhere you look. Some people had three or four in their yard. But in the blocks around my house, there was only one yard sign for the Republican candidate. There was only one yard sign for the Democrat, Repu Democrat candidate for president. Only one of each. Out of all those hundred plus signs, only one for the president from the Republican ticket, ticket, only one for the president from the Democratic ticket. And when I talked to people about this, um, there seemed to be a consensus that people we were more voting against one candidate than for another candidate. And how sad is that? How sad is that? And I know that many of you feel something similar this year. And then when you factor in, not only do we have some candidates with some significant flaws, not only do we have that, we also are in a situation where um, for us to even say something political, all of a sudden the haters come out of the woodwork. They just jump on you and, and no matter what you say, no matter how reasonable it is, there's somebody that comes out and they're all up in your face and it makes you want to do one of two things, at least for me. It makes you want to fight or flee. It's that natural human response, the fight or flight response. But is that the best response? Is that the way that we should respond? You know, and then another related question, what do you do when you're not thrilled about your options? How, what does it mean to then vote responsibly and engage politically responsibly? All right, well, over the next four weeks, we are going to do the best we can to look through the lens of Scripture as we look at politics. And let's start here. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. Nothing affects everything like leadership. Nothing affects everything like leadership. And that has been true from the earliest of times. There's a quote here from an ancient scroll. The scroll can be dated back to the 10th century BC. Here's what it says on that ancient scroll. This is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. In other words, when our leaders are committed, really committed to helping people thrive and flourish and be successful, life is better. It's better. And when leaders misuse their power, the opposite is true, isn't it? And this is true every continent on the globe. In the 1930s, the Nazis 
came to power in Europe. You guys probably heard of them before, right? Yeah, the Nazis. Yeah, you know, what did they do with their power, right? In Africa, late 1990s, more than 800,000 people were brutally murdered in 100 days, just 100 days in Rwanda. One of the most underreported stories in the news right now are the human rights violations that are happening in Asia. And then in South America, Latin America, corruption is widespread. In many places around the world, citizens don't have a say when it comes to choosing different leaders. Well, in this country, we the people, we've got the privilege to engage in the political process. And if you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down too. You've been given the great response ability to influence elections. You have the ability to respond, you and I, in a way that many people don't around the world. And our choices matter. Can I get an amen from the, all right, our choices matter. I began doing some research. Um, We're gonna be doing a series on race in the future. And so I've been doing a lot of research and I've come across stories that make it crystal clear that politics matter. Stories like an event that happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1921, in a neighborhood that became known as the Black Wall Street. The Greenwood District of Tulsa, it was a thriving community. It had Black-owned homes, Black-owned businesses, Black-owned banks, and theaters, and pharmacies, and churches, until, until a mob of white men looted the buildings, burned the entire neighborhood to the ground, and murdered an estimated 300 people over the course of just two days. Here's where politics comes into play. The mob appeared to have the support of the local government and according to one of the sources I looked at, all of the official city records disappeared of that event, all of them. And not a single person was charged with a single crime. The politics matter? Yeah. They do. Politics matter because the voices of those at the table make decisions affecting those who aren't at the table. Choices as small as whether or not you got to wear a mask all the way up to these bigger things like people literally getting away with murder. With so much on the line, so much on the line, here's a question worth writing down and reflecting on. How do we engage in a God-honoring way? How do we do that? How do we as believers, followers of Jesus, how do we engage in a God-honoring way? Well, in Germany, as the Nazis were rising to power, some historians report that up to 94% of the citizens of of, um, Germany in that time were professing Christians. In Rwanda, right before that genocide, I told you about 800,000 people murdered in 100 days. In In the time leading up to that, estimates put the number of professing Christians at 90% in that country. In America today, a nation where the majority of people still identify as Christian, does the way that most people engage politically look like the example Jesus set? What do you guys think? They're like, no, no. All right, let me show you something. Back in Jesus' day, there were several different ways that people of faith engaged politically. Here are five examples. One was called the Roman imperial cult. And these folks were all about law and order. And they believed that the way you get law and order is by conquering your enemies. Therefore, they would look to their ruler, Caesar, as Savior and Lord. That's what they would call him, Savior and Lord. 
did you see anything like that today? Where people, they go to war over ideas or they treat politics like it's a religion. All right, there were also then the zealots. This was another group that, of people who were religious people responding politically, the zealots. They were the hardcore revolutionaries. For them, the end justified the means, even if it meant violence, even if it meant riots. Their model was not do unto others as you would want them do, to do unto you. Their model was do unto others as they've done to you or as they've done to the people you've loved. You see anything like that today? Only every time you turn on the news, right? All right, then there were the Sadducees. The Sadducees, they were the cultural collaborators. They were the keepers of the temple and they wanted to keep their status. So they would collaborate when they needed to. They would compromise their convictions so that they could keep their status within the community. Do you see people ever do that today? Where they want to keep their status and so they'll make compromises with their beliefs. <laughs> These guys are like, no, wait, what? All right, then there were the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they quoted a lot of scripture, but they missed the point. That's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees, they had all kinds of religious rules, but Jesus frequently called them out for missing the point of God's laws and then adding all kinds of rules that God never gave us. Jesus often referred to them as hypocrites because one of the things that many of the Pharisees would do is they would keep certain laws and then they would ignore other ones. Do you see anything like that today? Where people, they quote a lot of scripture, but they're not becoming more and more like Jesus. All right, so then you had this other group, the Essenes, and the Essenes, they were like, hey, you all work it out. We're gonna be over there. You have at it. You know, the Essenes, they looked at all the brokenness around them and they lost hope. In fact, they believed things were so broken that they said, if we try to change anything, we're the ones that are gonna get corrupted. So why would we even bother? Let's just get out in the wilderness, away from everybody, and they retreated to their own little communities where everyone believed the same basic things they believed, and then they just waited. God, you go make it right. We're gonna be over here. Even though God's plan all along was to what? To take us and to go engage in the world and to be part of bringing that hope and be part, part of bringing that difference and bringing healing. So do you see anything like that today? People are just like, forget it. And they just back out of the process altogether. Well, as we look at these different ways, we've got these different examples of ways that in the time of Jesus, people were of faith were responding politically. You had the Roman imperial cult, you had the Zealots, you had the Sadducees, you had the Pharisees, you had the Essenes. Which of these approaches did Jesus take? <laughs> None of the above, right? None of the above. He didn't align with any of these, did he? Well, in this series, we're gonna do the best we can with the time we've got to point to the way of Jesus. This morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a look at a letter that was written to a former fast-tracking Pharisee named Paul. If you ever want a little tongue twister, guys, try that one. In a, it's a letter that he wrote to the first church that he founded in Europe. The first church he founded, fun fact, was a city called Philippi. The reason I chose this letter, his letter to the Philippians, is because of its political context. Political context. Philippi was a Roman colony. If you want to look it up, the Battle of Philippi, uh, 42 BC, I think it was, or something like that. Um, look that up. It was a real event. And after that battle, the Romans founded a colony in modern-day Greece. And it was founded by these Roman veterans, these former soldiers. So if you were a Christian living in Philippi, it seemed, since these were hardcore Romans, it seemed like you had two options. You could either fight against 
what they believed, or you could just say nothing so that you could avoid the backlash. It was fight or flight. Well, in his letter to the Philippians, Paul describes what does it mean to be a citizen of a very different kingdom. Let's take a look. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, verses, we're going to start with 27 through 28. And it says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. All right, now on your screens, you'll see that we highlighted some words in red, and then I gave you the Greek transliteration uh, that that are translated into those words. There's wordplay that's embedded in this letter that doesn't translate well into English. The Greek word that's used here in chapter one, it looks a lot like our English word politics, doesn't it? Now there's another word, a Greek word, that's gonna show up in chapter three. We're gonna take a look at that right now, and look at that one. That one looks a lot like our word politics too, doesn't it? All right, let's take a look. This is Philippians chapter 3 now, verses 17 through 20. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 20. Um, guys, if you just want a tip, if you're ever in front of the camera and you need to stall, just repeat the same thing that you said a couple times over and over again. There you go. All right, what, uh, what are we at? Uh, Philippians 3, 17. Here it is. All right, brothers, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you now and tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship, it's in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. All right, Paul uses the words again that look a lot like our word politics to drive home the point that we are citizens of a different kingdom. Among us, there should be a shared commitment to the way of Jesus. In a letter to the Christians living in a city called Corinth, Paul put it this way. He said, Christians, Christians are ambassadors for Christ. Christians are ambassadors for Christ. What do ambassadors do? We represent one kingdom to another kingdom. That's what we do. That's what ambassadors do. Now, with a show of hands, how many of you would say that there's a whole lot of people that are off-brand when it comes to Christianity these days? We're off-brand. Yeah, a whole lot of people, right? And that was the case in Paul's day too. There were a whole lot of people. Um, In Corinth, they were compromising with the culture. So Paul wrote a letter to them to say, hey, that's not the way of Jesus. um, He also wrote a letter to uh, the Galatians. And in the Galatians, it was different. It was more in that case where they were falling into the rut of the Pharisees. So he wrote them a specific letter. Well, he wrote this letter to the church um, in Philippi. And he was challenging them because they were in in, in danger of either selling out to the Roman way or just backing off and saying nothing because they're afraid of the backlash and disengaging completely. So let's go back to our text, chapter two now, verses three through four. Here's some more of what he writes to that church. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
you read words like these, and what a contrast to what we're seeing around us. What a contrast, if we're honest, to the way that a lot of times we're, we're, we instinctually want to respond. Isn't this where we often go off the rails when it comes to politics? That instead of maintaining a humble learning posture, instead of considering the interests of others, we look first to our own interests. And when people don't agree with us, we're quick to cancel, quick to cancel them. Instead of considering, maybe they've got something helpful to say. Well, one of the books that I recently picked up is this one. It's called Team of Rivals. And as I've been talking to some folks about it who've read it, they're like, this is such a great book. One of the things that make this such a great book, it's about Lincoln. And it's about his story during the Civil War. And one of the things that he did, he purposely brought together these people that saw things very differently because he knew this was a complex situation that he was facing and he knew he had to get all kinds of different perspectives if they were going to overcome these challenges. Imagine how the political landscape would change. Imagine the challenges that we could overcome together if everyone who claimed to be a follower of Jesus modeled humility and was committed to seeking out the best ideas, regardless of which tribe, which party they came from. All right, here's another example. That was just one example. Here's another example of what Paul wrote about what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? How do we act as citizens of heaven? This is Philippians 4.8. I'm going to guess you guys have heard this one before. When I start reading it, it's going to probably sound familiar to, to you. This is Philippians 4.8. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything that is excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I was recently having a conversation with a couple and they were looking for a new church. And one of them was sharing about her experience in the denomination that she grew up in. And she said, you know, I know what they're against. I'm not sure what they're for. Not sure what they're for. It is so easy to point out problems, isn't it? So easy. It's like hunting cows, right? It is easy to be cynical. It is easy to be critical. As followers of Jesus, part of what we should be is vision casters. There is this amazing vision that Jesus cast for a kingdom of heaven and what that was like. Where we grow in our understanding of truth that every person bears the image of God, where we honor and forgive one another as God forgives us, where we seek to align our lives with just laws that protect the vulnerable and protect minorities, protect the, min the marginalized, laws that give everyone a chance to thrive and flourish and cultivate those fields and to pursue excellence. You know, there's another book that I picked up recently too. It's this one. It's called I Have a Dream, and it's a collection of speeches by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That guy could cast a vision, couldn't he? As I've been looking at the curated lists that organizations, including churches, have been putting together about race, I've noticed very, very few are including works by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I don't understand that. Dr. Martin Luther King saw the world as it was, he identified what was broken. He cast a vision for a better future. And then he committed himself to that end. 
these don't have to be either or. These should be all ands, right? Dr. Martin Luther King, he, he had those four things. Imagine how different the political landscape would be if we as believers did all four of those things. What if we worked really hard to see the world as it really is, to identify what's broken, to cast a vision for a new and better future, and commit ourselves to that end? How many of you would say that that would make the world a better place? Yeah, right. Amen. Right. Okay. Well, politics matter, you guys. Politics matter. In 2020, we are facing challenges that no single party can solve on their own. But together, think about this. We have trillions of dollars. Together, we have hundreds of millions of minds and perspectives. And we have a God who works in and through people. Last week, many of us participated in the Global Leadership Summit. And one of the presenters wore a jacket and that jacket had the words representing or representing Christ, representing Christ, not representing Christ, representing Christ. I love that. As we bring our time together this morning to a close, here's our invitation to you. We invite you to join us as we explore what it means to represent Christ to a broken world. Last week, we sang those words, and the church of Christ was born. I had chills when we sang that words, those words. Because when the church of Christ was born, the world changed. There has never, ever been a movement that changed the world in such positive ways as the movement, the Jesus movement. Nothing even comes close. But today, what do people see? They don't see that. At least most people don't see that. They see new versions of the Roman imperial cult, where professing, professing Christians, they seem to have greater devotion to their political parties than they do to Christ. They see others who resemble the Sadducees, taking their cues from the culture. They see others who are more like the Pharisees. They quote scripture, but they miss the point. They see modern day zealots who are breaking laws, hating on their enemies, forgetting that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And they see modern day Essenes who just say, forget it, I'm out. Let's get back on brand. What happened when the Holy Spirit fell? About 120 years ago on believers. Well, 100, what, what happened when the Holy Spirit fell on about 120 believers about 2,000 years ago? They began to represent Christ, didn't they, to the world. And no movement in history has had a greater positive impact on the world. Politics matter. And next week, <laughs> we invite you to join us because we're going to start, pick up where we left off. We're going to wrestle. How do we disagree well? And then the week after that, we're going to challenge one another and look at what the Bible says about prayer. And are we praying for our leaders the way the Bible instructs us to? And then the week after that, we're going to look at biblical principles that can help us choose when we get to the ballot box and we have two candidates that are both flawed. What do we, what do, we do? Well, as we seal this time together with a song, before we do, I want to share these encouraging words. This is how Paul opens his letter to the Philippians. This is Philippians chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Paul says this to people who are living in a really tough situation, politically charged. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about y'all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, 
I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And here's, here's I really want to hear this. More and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. With a show of hands, how many wish you had more knowledge and discernment. <laughs> Those are right, we want, the, God wants to give that to us. How many of you wanna have a righteousness that just doesn't come from your understanding of what's right and what's wrong, but one that really comes from Christ? Show of hands on that, All right? Then let's pray to that end, let's pray. Father, I wanna thank you uh, for my brothers that are gathered right here in this room and the unity that, that we have even here. As we come along your alongside your vision and we hear it, this vision for a very different way of responding than the way that, that we see playing out around us. Lord, give us humility. Help us to see our own shortcomings, even as you know, we make these bold statements about whatever else is doing wrong. Help us to see our own shortcomings. And Father, help us to become more like you. Father, we pray that we could represent Christ to this broken world, where people could begin to see this kingdom that is so much better than the one that we're um, living in now. So Lord, we pray for these next weeks ahead. We dedicate this series to you and we pray for your Holy Spirit to fall on us. This we pray in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said really loud. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great week.